Uh, now, uh, so let's uh, reel ourselves in here. And, uh, you know, we are, you know, it is amazing the times that we are, uh, that we are living in. Just a few weeks ago, uh, you know, we uh, were talking about uh, the passage in 1 John about loving one another and related it to uh, a terrorist attack that took place in Orlando. And, uh, you know, there you had all kinds, you had the social issues of, uh, of LGBT and then terrorist issues and, and, oh my, where is the world at? And uh, now this week, uh, we uh, have been woken up again to uh, all kinds of tensions in our, you know, in our, in our country socially. Uh, and uh, it's important that, uh, like I said at the beginning, we don't just get sucked in, you know. Uh, it's important for us to be able to frame these things from the point of view of a Messiah follower, someone who knows the Lord. Because uh, what, I see of, what I see often, and I'm sure you see it too, you know, where do people share their opinions, like on Facebook and places like that, where we think we're talking to a few people? Unbelievable. But anyway... I, I, where, you know, it makes me wonder, what is the difference between just somebody who has an opinion and somebody who knows the Lord and has an opinion? There should be a difference, you know? Uh, we should be different than, than uh, just having an opinion about, about a topic, see? Because like I said, we're called to stand on the margins to be good citizens. We're called to be good citizens. Yeshua said that, you know. Uh, Render unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar, by application means be a good citizen where you live. Yet on the other hand, we are uh, in the world, but not of the world. Uh, and so uh, we're not called just to be patriotic or to amalgamate our, our uh, spirituality or religion with our brand of politics, which people love to do, okay? Uh, but we're called to speak into it. Now, the best way for us to speak into the world is to demonstrate it. Not necessarily to demonstrate, perhaps, but to demonstrate it, to live a certain way so that people can see that certain way and also through, and what did Yeshua say? And what do we read, you know, in the, uh, all over the Brit Chalashah? In word and deed, live a certain way. Not to be condemning, but to be attractive to people. To know the Lord, see? Uh, and so uh, this week's Torah portion, I thought we'd pause from 1 John uh, and look at this week's Torah portion because it talks about things like, in a way, civil unrest, discontent, problems with leaders, problems with people. And what did Moses do? And how did the people handle themselves? Wow. So there are some great lessons for us to learn from this Torah portion called Korah, which um, uh, begins in the 16th chapter of the book of Numbers. In our Torah study, we'll talk more about it and, and about lots of things about this Torah portion. But uh, what we're going to do uh, right now is going to read, I'm sort of going to read uh, most of chapter 16, not all of it, and then pause along the way, make some comments, and then some lessons for us to draw from it. And as I was preparing this, I thought, wow, you know, 
there are all kinds of lessons. There's lessons for us about our own lives and the way that we approach God and that we deal with just hardship in our own lives. Uh, this is a great, if you ever wanted to, if you ever were, if you've ever been asked to speak at a leadership meeting, this is a fantastic uh, portion to uh, uh, speak from or to dwell on. And in a way, we're all leaders. We're leaders of our homes and hopefully spiritual leaders in terms of our, our community, even if we're unrecognized as such by demonstrating the, an alternative way of life. We learn a lot from Korah. Uh, also, like congregationally, I, I, certainly we can learn a lot from, from Korah. Uh, and then I, even uh, just socially in our world to sort of frame things, to help us understand them and where real problems lie, and maybe how we can pray better or speak into uh, an issue. Korah has all kinds of lessons for all these things, okay? So we're going to draw a few lessons uh, from, this, uh, from this passage. All right. Now, something to remember in this passage. What has just taken place? What has just taken place is that, uh, uh, remember... Moses sent emissaries into the land that God had promised them. And the vision was uh, to go and get that land. When they left Egypt, the promise was, you're going to go and get that land. You're going to go into that land. Okay? It wasn't you're going to go into the wilderness and maybe it'll work out. Maybe it won't. Maybe you'll settle there. And maybe, maybe you'll enter the land. No. It was you're, gonna, you're going to leave Egypt and you're going to get that land. So Moses, fully uh, in a way expecting that Okay, we're going to go into the land, but, but strategically, I want to send some emissaries, some leaders, to go into the land, check it out, and, and come back and tell us what it's like. So what happens is, leaders go, go into the land, they come back, and they say, there's no way we can take this land. It isn't going to happen. It's a great land, don't get me wrong, but they're way bigger than us. We're like grasshoppers. There's no way that, it, that it's going to happen. And so then the people say, yeah, 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 wow, yeah, there's no way that's going to happen. And then there's the lone voices of Joshua and Caleb saying, no, we need to trust the Lord and go into the land. So you know what happens. The, the, that entire generation is judged. They are going to die in the wilderness. Uh, and so many, many, many years have to take place for them to die in the wilderness, uh, 40 years altogether. Uh, and here, and why? It's because... Uh, the people did not believe. Go back and read last week's Torah portion, uh, the Darash from last week. Uh, it's all there. Uh, the people did not believe, and so uh, they did not enter the land. You need to remember that coming into the issue with, with Korah. That's just taken place. Now, chapter 16. Now, Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, the grandson of uh, Levi, is the great-grandson, the great-grandson of Levi, okay? So he's a Levite, okay? Remember that, very important. He's a Levite, so he's a leader. He's not a priest, okay? He's not a Kohen, but he is a leader. He's from the tribe of Levi, called to serve all the other tribes, okay? It's not just some, some guy named Korah with, that had nothing better to do, okay? He is a leader. Okay, so then notice it says, uh, uh, and the sons of Reuben took action. Reuben. Now, Reuben is also uh, an interesting figure. Reuben is the firstborn. 
And he's supposed to be a leader by uh, natural selection, <laughs> okay? Uh, but uh, if you go back to Genesis chapter 49, you learn there that Reuben uh, uh, loses out on uh, his role, and therefore his descendants lose out on their role because of the sin of Reuben. So you have a Levite, and you have a guy who's supposed to be a leader, but by natural selection in the culture that they lived, but he's not, but they're not, okay? And they rose up before Moses together with some of the sons of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, chosen in the assembly, men of renown. So these are all leaders, 250, uh, led by this Levite and, uh, uh, and, and a Reubenite, okay? Uh, leaders are coming against Moses, okay? Let me just stop there and uh, say this, uh, that, you know, uh, uh, from my point of view, uh, and what I... Uh, speak in, to, to our leadership and into our union and, and elsewhere, is that um, there's a difference between problems and ministry. Like, you know, sometimes I, when, uh, when I get together with other messianic leaders, other uh, pastors, sometimes we'll talk about problems in their congregation, right? But what I would say is, is that the only time you have a problem is when you have a problem with leaders. Everything else is ministry. Things going on in people's lives, that's why we're here. Even if it's challenging, even if it's difficult, it may be, it may be the problem, people's problems, but from our point of view, it's ministry. Where we have a problem is when there's a problem with leaders, okay? Like leaders in sin and, you know, that, that kind of thing. So here Moses has a problem. We'll see later on in this chapter that there's also an issue of ministry. Uh, but here, you have 250 leaders coming against him, okay? I don't know, you know, if I was Moses, or, you know, who would want to be Moses, <laughs> you know? Okay, all right. So what you have is a faction is created, a faction. Okay? And they assembled together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, you have gone far enough, for all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is in their midst, so why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly uh, of the Lord? All right, we begin to see the heart of Korah and the heart of these, of these people, okay? I, they I, are, are exhibiting here uh, uh, pride, uh, jealousy, uh, and perhaps, uh, you know, a desire for, for power, okay? That's what's going on. Uh, now, so we see, uh, in a way, the heart of Korah. Now, keep your finger there, but go down to verse uh, 9. For the purposes of our message, we're going to sort of take this out of order a little bit. So uh, Moses uh, and, and Korah have a conversation, and what comes out is, is more of what's really going on, what's really going on here. Moses says in verse 9, Is it not enough for you that, God, that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, uh, to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord, and to stand before the congregation and minister to them, and that he has brought you near Korah and all your brothers, sons of Levi, with you? 
And are you seeking for the priesthood also? Therefore, you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord. But as for Aaron, who is he that you grumble against him? Then Moses sent a summons uh, to Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, but they said, we are not coming. Now, so these are the people that are in cahoots with Korah against Moses and Aaron, and they don't like, they don't like Moses' leadership. They're, they're mad at Moses. They don't, they don't like him being leader. They, they're thinking, who are you? Basically what they're saying. You know, who do you think you are to be, to be leader? So now Moses tells them what they need to do, but they won't do it. And now, here... Uh, we see uh, a very important part of the puzzle of what's really going on in their, in their heart. Is it not enough that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to have us die in the wilderness, but you would also lord it over us? Indeed, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor have you given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. Would you put out the eyes of these men? We will not we will not come up. So, what do we see about these people? We see that they are angry with Moses for several different reasons. One reason is, is that they feel that he is usurping maybe roles that they should have. But, you know, uh, winning cures uh, all ills, right? And uh, to use a metaphor from sports, right? When a team is not doing well, uh, who do you fire? You fire the coach, right? And all of us, we all know that when our favorite team is losing, we would make a better coach. Every single one of us, right? All right. So what has happened is that uh, these people, they, they have, their expectations have not been met. They are disappointed in the leadership of Moses. Uh, and so they take some drastic action, some drastic, uh, unfortunate action. We could say that what has happened is that they have lost their focus. They have lost their focus and their vision on what their calling is, and they are focused more on their own self, their own position, their own power, and uh, and uh, how they think things, uh, how they think things uh, ought to be, and they take matters into their own hands, and as a result, uh, they are uh, going to rebel against uh, the uh, leadership that uh, God has raised up. Okay, so that's what they do. Okay? They've lost their focus. They've lost their vision for their calling, uh, and uh, they're more concerned about their position uh, and about uh, their, uh, you know, their, their own value. One of the things, by, there's a by the way, uh, I should really save this just for the, the Torah study, but what's really interesting is, do you notice how Korah describes Egypt? He describes it as a land of milk and honey. Egypt, okay? So totally blinded to the reality of where they come from uh, and, and, and has totally lost focus that we were slaves and God redeemed us and there's a calling on our lives to get to the promised land. And he has evidently forgotten about the fact that the people would not believe he was there. 
and were not able to enter the land. He's totally lost his understanding and his focus, and because of his own angst and his own issues, uh, isn't thinking straight, okay? Uh, he has created an alternative narrative of reality. He has created a reality because of his anger and his frustration. He's created a reality that isn't true. And he has evidently convinced 250 people to go along with him, threatening the very strategy that God has put in place. Okay? All right. So now the question becomes, how does Moses respond? Okay? How does Moses respond? Verse 4. Moses fell on his face. When the Bible says Moses falls on his face, it doesn't mean that he embarrassed himself. It doesn't mean that he tripped over his shoelaces. It means he prayed. That's what it means. Okay? He prays. He doesn't uh, shoot from the hip and have a knee-jerk reaction to Korah. He prays. He sees here there are bad leaders. There are people in places of responsibility who are not, who are obviously, uh, uh, they've created a faction. It's, it's not good. Okay? So he prays. Now, even though that verse 4 only has 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 words in the whole verse, and the action of Moses is only 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 words, we don't know exactly how long he prayed, okay? You know, I don't think it was in one of those, in Yeshua's name, amen, you know, a kind of prayers, you know, that he fell on his face. That means prostrate, you know, and, and like serious, sweating prayer. Like, Lord, what do I do? You know, and we know from other places where we read about how Moses prayed, he says, Lord, you took, you know, I, I, what am I supposed to do with these people? You know, so we don't know exactly what he prayed, but God told him what to do because we see that play out. But very importantly, he prayed. And so he wanted to respond in a way, in a godly way, in God's way that would bring, uh, obviously, uh, the truth to bear, the truth to light and, 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 and hopefully redemption. Okay. So he prays. And then he says, and he spoke to Korah and all his company saying, tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy and will bring him near to himself, even the one whom he will choose, he will bring near to himself. Notice all the pronouns there. Remember, observation, so important in Bible study, right? You, bar and bat mitzvah, and Bar and Bat Avraham people, we talked about that. Notice, Korah is against Moses. When Moses responds, he says, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy and will bring him near to himself, even the one he, whom he will choose, he will bring near to himself. With Moses, it's all about God. It's all about uh, uh, not about his own preservation, but about what God has called to take place. Moses is not a power-hungry guy. Moses is not seeing himself here as, I'm all over you, Korah. You know what I'm saying? Don't judge God's anointed, if you know what I'm saying. All right? 
No, he's saying tomorrow God will decide. You will see, God will decide. Now he knew his calling, but he knew that it was much better to follow what the Lord told him to do here uh, and that God would make himself known. Okay, So we see that uh, Moses' reaction is God will intervene. All right? And then he tells them what to do. He basically says to Korah, okay, now take censers. In other words, do, you know, this is the job of the priests, okay? Taking the censers and the fire pan and, you know, an offering with incense up to the Lord. And we'll see what happens. It's a little bit reminiscent of what takes place later with uh, Elijah, you know, and the false uh, prophets. A little, a, little bit of, uh, a little bit of that going on here. All right. So, uh, uh, there you go. Then he reiterates in verse 7, the man whom the Lord chooses shall be the one who is holy. And, uh, and then he does, Moses does, uh, he's, he's exasperated. You have gone far enough, you sons of Levi. Okay. Uh, Moses says, hear now, you sons of Levi. And then what we already read, he speaks, uh, he speaks into, their, into their heart. Right? So what happens, you can read uh, all of this uh, yourself. But if you go down to verse 19, it says, Thus Korah assembled all the congregation against them at the doorway of the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. Right? So God indeed shows up. All right? And then the Lord says to Moses and Aaron, Separate yourselves, in verse 20, Separate yourselves from among this congregation, that I may consume them instantly. But notice what Moses and Aaron do. Yeah! Go get them, Lord! Oh, I will wake up so relieved tomorrow morning when they are all gone. No. But they fell on their faces and said, O God, thou art the God of the spirits of all flesh. That's a subject for another day. Okay? Uh, When one man sins... Will you be angry with the entire congregation? Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the uh, congregation saying, Get back from around the dwelling of Korah, Dathan and Abiram. Then Moses arose and went to Dathan and Abiram with the elders of Israel following him. Uh, And he says, Depart now from the tents of these wicked men and touch nothing that belongs to them, lest you be swept away in all their in all their sin. Okay? Then in verse 28, Moses says, By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these deeds, for this is not my doing. Alright? Okay. So Moses, so what we see here is Moses uh, speaks into the lives of bad leaders. And he he doesn't let it go, right? He seeks the Lord about what should happen, and then he prays that people outside of the bad leaders are not judged. And he prays for them. He intercedes for, for the people. He intercedes for them. Okay? Uh, and then uh, he, uh, he tells them that this judgment is going to, this judgment is going to come, right? But he relies on the Lord for the judgment. He never takes it into his own hands, but he fulfills his uh, responsibility. He fulfills his responsibility. All right? 
Uh, and you know what happens. The earth opens up and swallows Korah and the 250 bad leaders. Okay? Uh, and, they're, and they are indeed uh, they are indeed judged. Okay? So, so far in this chapter, this is what's so interesting about this chapter. So far, it's about Moses dealing with bad leaders. You know? That it's not everybody. It's not every leader. It's these who have rebelled. It's these who do not fulfill their calling as Levites. See? And what Moses has done is he remembers the vision. He knows the vision. He knows why the Levites are called. He knows what his position is. And he knows that they have to keep moving forward and God has called him to keep moving this people forward. Those who have lost the vision are, are, uh, have their own version of how things ought to be. They have forgotten. They've created their own uh, narrative of reality of what is right and what is wrong and, do, and simply do their own thing in rebellion to Moses whom God has raised up, all right? So certainly, uh, we see here uh, a judgment on these leaders. Now, we might think, then that's the end of the story. But it is not the end of the story. Even though the, uh, the, the leaders have been judged, look what happens in verse 41. Remember we said on the next day, everything will be all better? Well, it doesn't quite work out that way. But on the next day, all the congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron saying, you are the ones who have caused the death of the Lord's people. Look at that. So Korah and these 250 people have been judged. But look at the damage that they have done. Now, everybody's blaming Moses. The rank and file, the people, are blaming Moses and are in rebellion, right? Not, they, they have forgotten the vision. They have forgotten their calling. They have forgotten who they are as a people. And they, like Korah, you emulate the people you follow, concerned about them, their own selves. They have forgotten about the sin uh, of the. Uh, not, uh, they have forgotten about the sin of unbelief leading the people into the land. They have forgotten uh, about uh, who, how God called them, and 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 uh, and God had called Moses. And they even seem to not believe Moses when Moses says, "Look." Uh, you know, look what these people uh, have indeed done. And Moses has already prayed for these people that they would not die along with Korah and the 250 others, okay? So it's very interesting here because, so what is Moses' attitude? Moses' attitude is pray on behalf of the people uh, and through the leadership of God, judge, judge the bad leaders. But on the other hand, praying for the people, right, so that they would not die, so that they would be right, okay? So now here, all the people rebel. We might think, wow, now, now what's going to happen? Are they, all going to just, are they all going to die? So uh, here we see, uh, it came about, however, in verse 42, uh, when the congregation had assembled against Moses and Aaron, that they turned toward the tent of meeting, and behold, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. And Moses and Aaron came to the front of the tent of meeting, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Get away from among this congregation, that I may consume them instantly. What do Moses and Aaron do? They fell on their face again, okay? Now, just like with Korah, see? They fall on their face. 
what should we do? Right? Now with Korah, uh, what, what does he do? Uh, they're all going to die, right? And, and Moses though, has them point to God, uh, but God is going to bring judgment. Okay? But so now all the people rebel and they pray. And we see here, Moses says, uh, said to Aaron, take your censer and put uh, in it fire from the altar and lay incense on it. And then bring it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For wrath has gone forth from the Lord. The plague has begun. Then Aaron took it as Moses had spoken and ran into the midst of the assembly. For behold, the plague had begun among the people. So he put on the incense and made atonement for the people. And he took a stand between the dead and the living so that the plague was checked. But those who died by the plague were 14,700 besides those who died on account of Korah. And Aaron returned to Moses at the doorway of the tent of meeting for the plague had been checked. So what happens? The people are in rebellion. And what happens? They pay a price. A plague comes upon all the people. And many people die. Moses intercedes and the plague is checked. Not everyone dies. God shows mercy in the midst of this judgment. So what do we see here? Because we're just about... Uh, out of time, what we see here, um, there, are, there are all kinds of lessons. And you can relate Korah to all kinds of people in rebellion. And you can relate Moses to all kinds of people in, in authority, whether we're talking about at home or uh, congregationally or in our, in our world, and, you know, all the things going on. Uh, all kinds of lessons to learn. But may I just say, that what happens is when people sin, they lose their vision and they have lost their focus on the calling of their lives. And what ends up happening? They implode and they end up blaming others, seeking position, doing things that are counterproductive to making things right. That's what ends up happening when we lose our focus and when we lose our vision. And we see here kind of a worst case scenario here. What do good leaders do? Good leaders seek God, stay on track, don't have knee-jerk reactions, care for people, and never forget their vision regardless of where they're personally at. And so they act in commensurate with the word of God in the way that they, uh, in the way that they interact with people. And so what do people do? People respond to leaders that they follow. And it can lead to all kind. It can wreak all kinds of havoc, or it can lead to all kinds of good. And so uh, we need to recognize that you know, in the big scheme of things, when we frame things from the point of view of God, we are called, therefore, to pray. We all want to emulate good leaders. Moses is a good leader, right? And so we want to pray. We want to intercede for ourselves for the, the congregation out there, right? We want to intercede because there's so much rebellion against God and so much sin uh, that we pray for, for mercy. And what do we do? By word and deed, we share with people the way of the Lord because that is always the right way. And it seems that when I watch on the news and I hear that what good people are saying, you know, there needs to be unity and this is a time of great healing in our country, that what they seem to want never seems to be able to happen because 
Because people are not walking in the way of the Lord, no matter who it is. And when we walk in the way of, of the Lord, that is where there is justice and righteousness and peace and, and long-suffering and, and all of that. We live in a world where the deeds of the flesh rule. And, that's, and, and what, everything we see is the product of the deeds of the flesh. And so we need to speak truth and righteousness I, you know, into this world. We need to remind people what the vision and calling of humanity is and what the vision and, and calling of, of, of uh, good leaders are and, uh, and all of us, whether we're talking about ourselves as individuals uh, following the Lord, whether we're talking about ourselves as a congregation, or even the vision and values, uh, you know, of, uh, of a nation and of a society. We need to remember those values, all of us, uh, uh, together. Uh, and the vision and values of the Bible, the ethics and morals, should be what we're all aiming for. And we as Messiah followers, we need to be opinionated about what the real answer is when, where it comes from the Lord. And finally, uh, we need to remember that we're all accountable to God. Everyone is accountable to God. Korah was accountable to God. There's 250 leaders, they were accountable to God. The entire congregation of Israel was accountable to God. And it's only by, the, only by the mercy of God that they didn't all die. And then we come to Moses himself. Moses also is accountable to God. And we know from a few chapters down the road that Moses, Moses, who goes through all this, is going to have a situation where he forgets to fall on his face. And he rebels, and that rebellion is called not showing me to be holy uh, in front of the people. And Moses is not able to enter the land. So Moses is accountable as well. We're all, everyone is indeed accountable. We all have roles to play. The citizenry have a role to play. Leaders have roles to play. Uh, and we all need to do so in a way uh, that takes, as Moses did, takes the welfare of people into consideration and recognizes that there is one vision and one calling. We are created to be image bearers of God, no matter who we are. You know, no matter who we are, we're, every human being is called to be an image bearer of God. When we come to know Messiah Yeshua, he begins that project in us that we now can begin to function in that calling. And that is our message to this world by word and deed. This is what it means to be an image bearer of God. If we lived in such a way, we would see a different way of life. And so just in closing, when you look at the world around us, perhaps you might want to think of the deeds of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit, right? The deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, enmities, strife, Jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Okay. That's what Korah was involved in. And that is oftentimes what we're seeing on the news. All of that that takes its shape in different ways. But what is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against these things, there is no law. 
In other words, they're powerful. And that is how we are called to demonstrate. That is the world. That is how, through these, through the fruit of the Spirit, that is how leaders are supposed to act. That is how we as followers are supposed to act. And when we all fulfill our calling and have this vision of the way that we are called to live, we will see a different world. See? And the day will come when there will be a different world. But right now, we are called as Messiah followers to speak into this world. And may we do so. And may we pray for those who are, who are hurting. Uh, may we uh, uh, pray for healing. May we pray for justice. May we pray that people would turn to Yeshua the Messiah because in him is the only hope of real transformation. That is where real lives change. That is where we see a different world. May we demonstrate that. May, uh, you know, and, uh, and may the world take heed and come to know. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray, Lord, that um, whether we're talking about ourselves individually, congregationally, communally, nationally, that we would not just be out for ourselves and our self-interests, but that we would recognize that there is a vision and a calling. Lord, I pray that if we are disappointed in our leaders or we have, have unmet expectations in our lives, that we might pray for our leaders, Lord, and, uh, and pray that they understand that there is a calling on their lives. And Lord, uh, we pray, God, that we would recognize that we are called ultimately to serve you in whatever venue that may be. And may we do so well, Lord. And God, may indeed you put away the enmities and may you put away the strife, Lord. For in Messiah Yeshua, that wall of partition is broken down. There is no enmity and there is no strife in your kingdom. So Lord, may, I, may that indeed be true among those who follow you. And that, Lord, may we make a difference uh, in this world. We pray in Yeshua's name. Amen.